This is One North Stories. Our goal here is quite simple. We provide hyper-local, brand-based storytelling at the intersection of science, technology, and business here in Singapore with a global perspective. We are starting with a launch series focused on technology startups and then plan to take the podcast broader, telling our stories, your stories, about the Singapore deep tech ecosystem. Whether you work as a venture capitalist on Sand Hill Road or in Southeast Asia, already doing R&D in Singapore, or perhaps a student dreaming big about technology, or someone in between. Join us to learn about the exciting technology being developed in our labs in Singapore, their translation journeys to market, and the inspirational people coming together to make yesterday's dream reality. If you have future episode ideas, segment ideas, or want to partner with us on this exciting journey, please get in touch. Our contact details are in the show notes. These are our stories. We hope they inspire you to create your own. And now, on to the show. This is moving energy uh, across hundreds of meters, across kilometers, and what will eventually be thousands of kilometers without any wires. Up until now, we've been focused on the, the beam efficiency itself. So that's really from the microwave energy source, how much of that energy that is sent is, is received. We demonstrated 95.1% beam collection efficiency, and we can get that to 99% quite easily. And that's really has been our focus to date, not only because the beam forming algorithm and our technology behind that is you know, one of our differentiating factors, but also because it's really a permission to play metric that we needed to achieve. Because if you can demonstrate a high beam collection efficiency, that goes a long way to ensuring that the system itself is very safe. The conversations that we have with the regulators is because our beam collection efficiency is so high, we essentially operate like a, a virtual wire. We've got a, a very high confidence that we'll be able to deliver these solutions and we have you know, have seen the plans, we've run through the modelling, we've put the demonstrations together, but you know, all the fun happens in, in implementation and when, yeah, when you actually get going. Today, we have Rick on the show to share about Emrod. Rick and I first met on the sidelines of Switch, the Singapore Week of Innovation and Technology. Rick was here to pitch Emrod as Slingshot 2023 and made it to the finals in the Environment, Energy, and Green Technologies category. Emrod aims to be a truly transformative company, developing virtual wire technology for wireless power transmission. Specifically, converting electricity to microwaves with a transmitter, and then back to electricity with a receiving antenna. They have demonstrated over 95% beam collection efficiency with pathways to over 99%. Looking to do pilots with a 60% end-to-end -end efficiency, that is including the power conversion systems at each antenna array, they have a roadmap to 80% and in theory can go over 90% system efficiency. After demonstrating the system across 36 meters in a warehouse style demo, they are looking for initial pilots with mobile assets. Think trucks moving around a site or perhaps harbourcraft vessels. Their ultimate goal is improving grid resiliency with the ability to move energy across the globe via terrestrial and satellite-based systems. Enjoy the interview. Hello and welcome to One North Stories. We are here 
actually at One North exactly, with Rick Hudson, who's the strategy and commercialization manager at Emrod. Rick and I, we met end of last year at Switch 2023, the Singapore Week of Innovation and Technology. And today we're doing a, a follow-up conversation just to kind of understand Emrod and the technology that, that you guys are developing. Welcome, Rick. Thanks, Ruben. Great to be here. Could you start a little bit with your introduction to yourself? Um, you know, you personally, and then how you got into Emrod. Yeah, sure. So my background is actually in finance, so not a technical background. And I started my career in management consulting and that was really driven by a, a passion for wanting to understand how businesses really ticked, how they worked, how they made decisions and how they grew. And as I went further into my consulting career, the growth aspect really stood out for me. And I, I knew that was something that I wanted to uh, really focus on going forward. And that's really what drew me to Emrod. It was really the enormity of the energy transition and the challenge that, that posed, coupled with the enormous potential that the, the company and the technology has in order to impact that going forward. And they were really the, the two elements. Uh, and then once I met the team and uh, realized just the, the world-class scientists and engineers that were on board, it was a, a very easy decision. Very easy decision. Fantastic. So did you have any, let's say, first technical love, science loves, or it's been just business and then seeing problems and how you can help people solve them? It was really coming from a problem-solving angle. When I was in consulting, I was looking at how I could apply my skill set to help certain areas and certain groups of people. And I think if you, the way that I think about supporting people is, you know, really one end of the spectrum is helping those that are less fortunate and, you know, doing a lot of good work with NGOs and, and helping lift people up to a, you know, a good basic standard of living. And then you've got the other side of the spectrum, which is really helping to push cutting edge technology forward. And I know I wanted to be on either end of those spectrums. So yeah, I think it's yeah, very exciting to be able to be part of a technology that is on the cusp of commercialization and a company that's got great ambitions. Okay, Rick. So looking at, at technologies, high potential technologies, but then with high potential, I guess also very risky in, in technology development that brings us to MROD, which is wireless energy transition. And this is not your phone. This is not even wireless energy transmission you know, for battery charging, for a car, you know, where the pad's a couple centimeters away. This is meters and the potential for kilometers. So can you give us a, a brief introduction to the company, Emrod, and the wireless power transmission that you guys are developing? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's yeah, worth mentioning first up that it is different to perhaps what people have seen wireless energy transmission uh, in the past. So it's it's not the the pads that charge your phone. It's not the mats that can charge EV cars. This is moving energy uh, across hundreds of meters, across kilometers, and what will eventually be thousands of kilometers uh, without any wires. The company itself was founded by Greg Kushner, who's our CEO, and he's a serial entrepreneur and has been running and, and exiting a number of successful companies in the past. And that really gave him the resource to be able to start Emrod. And he initially approached Callahan Innovation, which is a, a research institute in New Zealand, and kicked off a, a feasibility study 
and the the researcher assigned to lead that study uh, ended up joining the team as our chief scientist. So that was really the the genesis of MROD. And from there, we've grown the team to what is now 12, uh, the majority of which are microwave engineers. Okay. And we're at the path or we're going down the path of commercialization. So we have demonstrated the fact that the technology works. We've ran demonstrations in Europe and in Australasia. And now we're looking to sign pilot projects to really take us from the indoor setting into the the real life environment to be able to test the system in the field. Okay, so you've proven it. I think there's videos of you guys like kind of in a big room Mm -hmm. or like warehouse style. I'm showing it. So how far are those demos done now? So the di- di- distance wise? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the prototype that we've demonstrated in the past is over 36 meters. And that was commissioned by Airbus and the European Space Agency. And they chose 36 meters specifically because that represents one millionth of the distance between Earth and geostationary orbit. And that's the typical distance that power beaming will need to occur for space-based solar programs. So that's 36,000 kilometers. The distance was chosen specifically for that reason. And also, if you go beyond that, there's not that many warehouses that can facilitate a, a system of that scale. Okay. When was MROD started and kind of where are you guys now? I mean, in kind of this life cycle of getting your outdoor pilots yeah, commissioned. Yeah. So MROD started in 2019. And we've moved through from feasibility studies to developing tabletop demonstrations to the larger prototype demonstrations that we've put together for Airbus and the European Space Agency for utilities in, in New Zealand as well. And now we're looking to move that from these prototypes, which are in an indoor setting to real world uh, applications on earth and the types of specifications that we're looking for those is really across multiple kilometers, hundreds of kilowatts into the megawatts and world-breaking end-to-end efficiency levels as well. So what we're proposing to do next is yeah, something that would be yeah, truly world-leading. Okay. I mean, ultimately, this is like for Earth-based power transmission, this is like long-haul power transmission, right? From a, let's say, a remote energy source or even just some energy source solar, wind, maybe even hydro, and then to where it's consumed. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So the system can take energy in from any form. So it can be a a solar farm, a wind farm. It can be connecting directly into the grid. And then similarly, you can essentially have a plug and play system to connect to any other consumption point. So that could be building, that could be remote assets, and that could also be mobile assets. So we can, we're looking at charging electric vessels, electric haul trucks, excavators, other items like that. So there's a lot of different applications that we're looking at on Earth. And then you have a, a number of space-based applications that we're focused on in the future as well. Okay, great. Um, let's, let's take maybe half a step back. So again, we met at Switch, the Singapore Week of Innovation Technology. Can you tell us a little bit, how did Emrod get plugged into that? And then share a bit about your experience that whole week in Singapore? So we were part of an incubation program in Germany um, as part of the European Space Agency's uh, accelerators. 
And from that, they have uh, quite a strong relationship with Southeast Asia and Singapore in particular. And we were introduced to uh, yeah, a number of stakeholders over here and uh, a number of government organizations as well, particularly because of the energy transition challenges that, that Singapore has, which is quite unique for the, for the region, given the, the geographical constraints that the, that the country has. Yes. So we were asked to, to come in and present our technology and to see how we could help support the energy transition in Singapore. Um, from that, we were invited to apply to, to Slingshots and then we yeah, went through the application process and so, yeah, lucky enough to, to be invited to uh, switch to pitch. Okay, great. And pre-switch, all 50 finalists, you guys kind of had this mini boot camp. Mm. How was that? It was fantastic. It was very informative. Uh, it really helped to get a better understanding of what it would be like, not only to operate in Singapore, but to, to set up here and what we'd actually need to do from a practical perspective, looking at legals, IP protection, incorporation, a lot of these aspects. So from a, what would it take to set up in the region that was quite beneficial. And then there were two other quite important elements for us in particular. So number one was tapping into a large network of investors. So we've had dozens of investors reach out, we've connected to, we've had a number of meetings over the past several months. So that's been a quite a positive experience. And it seems from the investment community, we've been able to generate some great interest. Uh, but most of all, it was really the, the other 49 startups and learning about their journeys and what they're doing. And it was really an incredible collection of companies and people that crossed a wide range of different industries and, and problems, but were really at the cutting edge. So it was quite inspiring and insightful to learn from a lot of these companies and what they were doing. So let, let, let's talk a little bit more about your technology, right? So you're doing this 36 meters right now is your demo. Maybe start by sharing, let's say the efficiency of that, because I understand, I mean, in some ways it's high, but from a end deployable system, it's still quite low. So what's your efficiency now? And then what do you guys need to do or what's in your roadmap to, to increase the efficiency to again, get practical field-based applications where UIs are cost competitive with let's say traditional power transmission means? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's worth stepping through the elements of the system and then we can break down the efficiency from there. So there are really three main components of the system itself. You have a transmitting antenna, which will take the electricity converted into electromagnetic energy. Then you have the beam forming itself, which is transmitting the electromagnetic energy from the transmitting antenna to the receiving antenna. And then you have the reconversion from microwave energy, electromagnetic energy back into electricity. So there are efficiencies associated with each of those three components. Up until now, we've been focused on the, the beam efficiency itself. So that's really from the microwave energy source, how much of that energy that is sent is, is received. And for the demo, we demonstrated 95.1% beam collection efficiency. Okay. And we can get that to 99% quite easily. And that's really has been our focus to date, not only because the beam forming algorithm and our technology behind that is you know one of our differentiating factors 
but also because it's really a permission to play metric that we needed to achieve. Because if you can demonstrate a high beam collection efficiency, that goes a long way to ensuring that the system itself is very safe. Yes. And having that high beam collection efficiency enabled us to do the demonstrations in the first place because we could go around and measure the fact that the energy wasn't spilling out beyond the area between the two antennas and we could invite all of the ministers and the general public to actually yeah, see the demonstration in action. So that was really the focus to date. And now we're focused on the conversion and reconversion efficiencies. So for our pilots that we're looking to kick off, the end-to-end -end efficiency is around the 60% mark. And we've got a clear roadmap to get that above 80%. And in theory, we can push that beyond 90%. So beyond 90% is really our, our ultimate goal. And when we think about commercialization as well, I mean, there are you know, two main elements from an economics point of view. You've got the capital cost of the system and then the efficiency, which is essentially the OPEX. And even at 60%, given the cost of the system for a certain application, it stacks up today. And that's really for applications such as mobile assets, where if you can keep them highly utilized and keep them more productive than they could otherwise be with stationary charging, you tap into the revenue side and the, the system pays for itself you know, multiple times over. Um, the payback period uh, becomes months and, and not years. So there are already really compelling use cases that we're pursuing today. So mobile assets, this would be like Harbourcraft or like mining assets, like big trucks for mining and things like that? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you only need a couple of minutes of extra utilization or you know, a couple of percentage points more payload in order for that to translate into to millions of dollars in the bottom line. So that's really where we see a lot of the near-term potential. And then as we improve the efficiency, improve the economics, we can move into to other areas a lot more in the utility space, in aircraft, UAVs, drones, other areas, and then further into the space economy. Just something that thought in my head, right, about the mobile assets, right? If you've got this continuous energy, right, then you don't need batteries on board or you need much, much less batteries on board. And again, for heavy objects, ships, boats, big trucks, I mean, that's a big, big savings in the tons and tons. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So you can look at it in terms of revenue uplift. You can look at it in terms of saving for on battery capacity. And when you look at the battery demand, the supply chain, the raw materials that are involved, if you can help to reduce the amount of capacity that's required for a lot of these assets, then that can remove a, a lot of the strain on the, on the supply chain for batteries. Okay, great. So kind of that, that would be, let's say, your first application that you really aim to go to market in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, great. So one question about your technology, it's microwave beams that, that are going across. And we talked about this before, but I just want to get it here in the podcast. How safe are those? Like, I, I know you, you've told me that you're safe, but tell our audience, right? I mean, like if a bird flies through the, the beam, I mean, because these are going to be meters up above the ground. How does the, the energy density interact with, with a bird? Yeah, it's, our, it's the first question that's where we're asked, and it's really been our first focus in terms of R&D and, and design to, to begin with. So the, there are a couple of elements to the safety of the system. There's really three main elements. So 
First of all, it comes down to the high beam collection efficiency, which means that there is no energy that's really escaping the area between the two antennas. And if you're if you can measure that there is no energy escaping the area between these two antennas, the second thing you can do is essentially move it up. So that means that you're out of the way of, of humans. There's no penetration if you're in a Faraday cage or if you're in a an aircraft, a, a helicopter, these types of these types of machines, you won't be exposed. And then the last question comes down to the birds. So what happens when the birds fly through? And there are certain power densities based on certain powers that we would look to or certain power levels that you know we would be asked to transmit. The surface area of the antennas are quite large, which means that the individual radiating elements and the power of those are, are quite low. So a bird would essentially need to dwell within the, the path of the beam for several minutes before it would feel any kind of heating effect. Okay. So you're not going to have birds that are exposed to the, the beam and then fall out of the sky. You're not going to have uh, KFC you know, falling down on your lap or anything like that. Um, so there's that element, but the way that we're designing the system is for it to be zero exposure. And the way that we can do that is to employ existing technology such as LiDAR, avian radar, that detects any object moving through the path of the beam and then can shut the beam off automatically before that object enters the, the particular path. Then we can have some battery redundancy at the other end to make sure we smooth out any uh, momentary variations in the power level so we can make sure that we yeah, keep the supply going and we have zero exposure for humans or birds alike. Okay, thanks, Rick. Could you share a little bit about, let's say, your core IP and how you guys approach that? I assume since it started with this commission study, you know, you guys probably own many of your, your core IP assets. And then kind of how, how do you view your IP then in terms of partnerships and kind of building up, let's say, adjacent systems with in-licensing or, you know, keeping development in-house again, because you guys are still quite a small team, but you need to build these large systems to, to prove your value. At the moment, we own all of our IP. So it's all in-house. We really have four main patents that we've submitted at this stage. So one is really the core end-to-end -end system. And that includes not only the antennas and the beamforming algorithm, but also relay antennas, which is essentially designed to be a mirror that can extend the range for a given antenna size or reduce the antenna size for a given range. So it gives us a lot more flexibility in how we can configure a system to the different practical considerations for end users. Within that is really the beam alignment IP, the novel way that we can increase the conversion from microwave to electricity at the receiving end. And we also have some IP around our space-based solution, which we call the Worldwide Energy Matrix. And that's really a complementary system to space-based solar power. Whereas instead of taking the solar from the sun when you're in orbit, you can take energy from Earth, beam it up to a constellation of satellites and deliver it back down to anywhere else on Earth. So a good example of that is delivering solar power from the UAE to Singapore. Now, in the UAE at midday when you have peak solar, that corresponds to about 5 or 6 p.m. in Singapore, which yeah. is really the time where... When the sun's setting. 
and peak demand starts to yes. to increase that spike along yeah it's really a common thread throughout most countries so it's a way to essentially time shift renewables and overcome some of the intermittency challenges that that solar has so we're quite excited about that plan as well and we have some core ip around around that system okay so i mean that's i mean peak shaving plus also an intermittency solution as well which is just i mean absolutely huge for energy grids we think of these things on okay in singapore on a singapore country level but you know even in big cities this is potential game changer then if you can peak shave everything by by beaming energy around across thousands of kilometers or tens of thousands of kilometers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for Singapore as well, I mean, the there's certain constraints around what can be generated in the country. And Singapore itself can be heavily reliant upon neighboring countries for its energy supply. And if you can then procure that energy from different countries, you can diversify your supply, you can reduce certain risks. So we see it playing into energy resiliency and, and security for different countries as well. And that's on the consumption side. And then on the generation side, you can essentially open up new markets for countries that have a rich solar and wind resource. Okay, Rick. So, so we, we talked a little bit um, earlier about you know potential first markets. How do you actually get from where you are to, let's say, a first demo? Do you have a target in terms of, let's say, you want to go marine? or you want to go heavy machinery, or it's just really kind of who's willing to start commissioning these systems? How, how do you, with a small team, keep your focus on getting to market, getting these demo projects up with also the, the, the long-term aspirations that, that you shared earlier? Yeah, and, and focus is the key, but we've also got a technology that is, is new. It doesn't exist anywhere in the world at a commercial scale. When people ask, well, it would be great to see something in action. Where can we find a system? There, there, is, there is nothing in the world at the moment at a commercial scale that we can go in and demonstrate. So the part of the approach is focusing on what the highest priority use cases are today, more immediately short term. There's also a number of conversations that we need to have in order to bring people on the journey to help them understand what the technology is, what its capabilities are, what its trade-offs are, and to help people start thinking about how they can integrate wireless power transmission into their businesses and into their operations. So we've given a number of, of talks and presentations to, to utility groups around the world. We've engaged companies from large large power companies through to drone companies, startups that are sending blimps up into the, the stratosphere and figuring out how they can keep their assets fully charged. We're working a lot with space organizations as well and uh, also looking at uh, a number of different applications from telco to, to oil and gas and, and others. So those conversations need to happen to get the conversation going and to get the thinking going. Yes. Because it's a it's a brand new technology, but our real focus is on who are the who are the companies and what are the situations that are um, feeling pain right right now, and where does the commercial value really stack up? And what we're seeing there from a terrestrial perspective is really in mobile assets that can be utilized for longer or where you can reduce battery capacity 
And that really comes down to maritime and mining. Okay. So in Singapore, obviously there's a huge maritime industry. So we're having a number of advanced conversations with port services companies around wireless charging solutions to integrate into uh, Singapore's green plan, into coastal sustainability alliances, and a lot of these programs that are being put together right now in order to solve the the decarbonization challenge that uh, a lot of these industries are facing. Okay, great. As an aside, it was in the press, I think just a couple of weeks ago, the first all electric harbourcraft mm. have, have been deployed, ferrying workers to and from one of the small offshore islands in, in the harbour. Yeah, so. exactly. So, I mean, it's starting to happen right now. And a lot of these organisations are focusing on how do we get the asset itself to, to move from fossil fuels to, to renewable energy or, or fully electric. And as they think about that, the next challenge is, well, how do we actually support that? Yes. What charging solutions are available? What different fuels are available? How do we actually get the power from A to B in order to facilitate this change without sacrificing uptime, without incurring too much cost? So we're in the middle of those conversations right now. Okay. So would you envision like say MRAD branded assets for deployment or is this then like you develop it, but then you essentially license and people will then build this into their end use case? We see it evolving over time. So right now we see MRAD branded kits. We see the need to be able to facilitate and really own end-to-end deployments because just simply because it hasn't been done before. And, you know, we feel like we're best placed to, to be able to do that, not totally independently, you know, partnering with the right experts, the right organizations at different points of the of the value chain, but eventually move that towards a, yeah, a license model. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess, like you said, well, the first deployments, I mean, uptime, right? Up, uptime and on the ground troubleshooting, at least for the first couple of years is going to be absolutely critical. You don't want the technology to work, but then not work because of, you know, small mechanical issues or electrical issues where you're not on the ground troubleshooting in support, right? Yeah, exactly. We've got a a very high confidence that we'll be able to deliver these solutions. And we've have seen the plans, we've run through the modeling, we've put the demonstrations together, but all the fun happens in in implementation and when, when you actually get going. So yeah, we've need to make sure that we're fully across the process, learning each step of the way and making sure that we're in a, a strong position uh, moving forward when we start to scale up. Okay. Can you talk a little bit like what partners do you need, let's say today or in, let's say the immediate future to, to do that? Let's, let's say hypothetical, just, just hypothetical. A mining company says, okay, we're ready to do this, ready to do the pilot or, you know, a Harbourcraft company comes to you and says, okay, we're ready to deploy this. You know, how would a project like that take shape? both with you guys at, at the center, bringing in, you know, the necessary partners you need to, let's say, build the systems and then, let's say, support the systems over, let's say, a first year of operations? I think there's, yeah, there's several elements we would go through. There would be about three, three main areas that we would cover. So first of all would be the manufacturing or design manufacturing and installation of the, of the system itself. Then there would be the regulatory approvals that we would need to to receive in order to be able to pull the project together. And then there's a, a measurement monitoring elements in there as well to be able to 
take all of the observations and the data from any pilot project and circle that back and make sure that we're, we've done what we say we were, we were going to do. So on the, the actual implementation and installation of the system, we're looking at co-designing certain components with uh, strategic manufacturing partners. Okay. And that's really on certain uh, elements that, or certain components that really exist today, but not really for power beaming. So if you take um, semiconductors, which are found everywhere, really to, to bring those to the next level, we need to be able to partner with uh, a number of these semiconductor foundries to pull something together that's very high efficiency, high watts per dollar, and develop something that is more amenable to power beaming than, say, communications and other industries and applications that, that semiconductors are used for. Okay. So that's really a key component. We'd partner with local contractors for the installation of the equipment itself. We would work with other manufacturers along the supply chain for fabrications, the steel frames, you know, a lot of the supporting structures and the safety systems. So yeah, there's definitely a, a number of parties that that we would work work with and a, a number of suppliers. But in terms of the the core IP, the core science, the actual know-how to to develop the system, that's all in-house. Okay, great. I'm just I wanted to Dig a little bit deeper, like you, you mentioned the regulation, mm -hmm. and that's going to be country by country, or even in, inside of a country, maybe province by province, state by state. Do you foresee that being, let's say, a, a big hurdle? Or like once you prove it's safe, you, you really think that there's precedence maybe in other areas where you can, yeah, get buy-in from local authorities? Yeah, the good thing is that we do have precedence from our demonstrations. So we've got a an approach that we've used that's enabled us to be able to successfully demonstrate the prototype systems in Germany and in New Zealand. And it's really predicated upon two areas. So first of all, we operate in the unlicensed ISM band. That's the industrial scientific and, and medical band, which means that we don't need to apply for a, any special licensing in order to operate at that frequency. We just need to make sure that we don't in, interfere with other systems that that operate within that range okay um, and we've been able to demonstrate that by flying drones uh, in the middle of the, the path of the beam itself and and show that the communication um, of that drone and the, and the steering is is uh, uninhibited by by our system and the other element to regulation is the power density so there are power density limits uh, across yeah, all all markets and they're typically enforced for the communications industry. So the power density limits are, are quite low and they should be because communication systems essentially flood spaces with yeah, with microwaves or with the certain radio frequencies that they use. So the conversations that we have with the regulators is because our beam collection efficiency is so high, we essentially operate like a, a virtual wire. We don't spray this energy anywhere, which means that we can apply for uh, special di dispensation and, and approvals to to use the, the the technology because it's the nature of the of the tech and how we actually use the radio waves is is very different to communications. Um, so we've managed to receive those approvals in in Germany and in New Zealand, and we've got a blueprint to be able to apply to other markets. 
I like the term you use, virtual wires. So just maybe similar regulation or similar approvals to like high tension lines that, that currently dot our landscape. Okay, not, not in Singapore, but dot the landscape of every other country. Yeah, and I mean, a much safer alternative to, to wires. I mean, if you yeah grabbed hold of a, a, an actual wire, then there'd be a lot of trouble, but uh, yeah, no such risk with, uh, with virtual wires. Okay, great. So when you guys do get to market, I mean, killer technology, killer applications. Okay, it's, it's not the right way to say it, but do worry about how to scale. Because like, again, once it's proven, I mean, I can only assume hyper growth for applications, for demand and then roll out. What's your plan? What's MROD's plan for, you know, when you're in hyper growth? Yeah, well, I mean, it will be yeah, very different challenges to what we have today and we'll look forward to approaching those when they come. Um, but it's, it's really, because we're a hardware business, it's all about manufacturing. So we need to, and which we are doing, we've already got a number of partnerships that we're forming with strategic manufacturers for our core components. So there's an element of partnering with the right players, not only in order to get the scale and the volume of the components that we need, but also going back to our R&D roadmap, it's really the, the quality of the components and the suitability of the components to power beaming itself. So we have have all of that bedded into our R&D plan and are, are working through it at the moment. But there, there's definitely a, a manufacturing scale element for not only our core uh, components that are that are key to really the whole system itself, but also the supporting elements, the safety systems, the the frames and the 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 covers and all of these other areas. So that's all about uh, yeah striking relationships with the right manufacturers and having the right supply chain in place to to really push that forward. And then we'll as a company will be looking to really remain focused on pushing the performance of the system forward. So focused on the R&D, focused on the technology itself and focused on the strategically important componentry and making sure that we yeah, outsource the, the rest to the high volume, high quality manufacturers. Okay, great. Thanks, Rick. Something that's not in our notes, but I did want to, you know, throw in, I just thought about standards. I mean, one can only assume, right, you guys are getting known this idea of energy transmission, virtual wires, right? It's not solely you guys. There are maybe other people working on this. Once it works and once the, the implementation starts, right, there's going to be a need for some sort of standard, maybe interop between different componentry, different companies, maybe, maybe not. But have you guys thought about that yet? And kind of how you kind of try to ensure that, that your technology kind of is either setting the standards or let's say aligned with standards that, that people are starting to think about or will need to start thinking about in the near future. There's probably two elements to standards. So one is connectivity with from the system to its generating and consumption sides. So from that point of view, the, the system has been designed to be highly integrative to any generating or, or cons consuming asset. So we act as a, a plug and play. The system's highly modular, so you can configure different distances, different powers, even different frequency levels as well, based on the, on the right use case. And you can have any form of energy in and you know, any form of electricity in and, and similarly going out. So we've put a lot of thought into the design of the system to make sure that it's plug and play. Okay. And then on the other, the other element of standards is the 
electromagnetic energy and the frequency band in which it operates. And that's really dictated um, by and large by uh, international standards. Those standards are reviewed once every four years, and we're lucky to have advisors and board members on our team that's, that are driving a lot of those standards globally. So yeah, we see ourselves as having or being able to contribute to what those standards should look like for power beaming in the future. Okay, great. Thanks. I want to say what's next for MRI. That's what's next in the outline, but we've already talked a lot about what's next. So maybe I'll change the, the question a little bit. How would you define your near-term success? And then let's say far-term success of the company. So near-term for us would be crossing the, the chasm from prototype demonstration to pilots in a, in a real-world setting. Uh, that's really the next step that the industry needs to take. It's the next step that the tech needs to take. And it's really the, the next step to, to help uh, showing people that this technology is, is mature, it's commercially viable, it's, it's ready to go. Um, so that coupled with the, the fundraising activities that, that we're doing at the moment is, is really key for the, for the business um, in the short term. And then in the long term, it's focusing on the performance of the system itself. It's focused on securing the, the supply chain and expanding our use cases and most notably moving into into space-based applications so that they're really the three elements that we see longer term we need to be completely focused on in order to to make emerald a success okay great thanks rick i wanted to talk maybe a little bit about you so as you mentioned emerald was founded in in 2019 you're not let's say from the original founding team you joined in you saw the high potential of the startup and and came in Tell us about your journey in joining the company and then integrating yourself into the company. And then as you go to the fundraising and then the deployment scenarios that, that you're pushing. I think I reacted how most of our introductory meetings go with you know, many potential customers, which is, is this real? Does it actually work? Is it not sci-fi? So the introduction to the company came through a, a mutual friend and the first part was really understanding where the technology is in terms of its maturity, what the potential of the tech is. And yeah, once I got a, a good understanding of that, the next part was, is this the right team? And is it the right people to be able to take this technology uh, forward and, and commercialize it and bring it to the world? And the quality of the team that we do have is, yeah, it's really world-class. So Ray Simkin, our, our chief scientist, has been uh, involved in electromagnetics uh, across uh, four decades, and that's um, in in the UK as part of various aerospace programs, and also in in New Zealand. We've got Mark Tompkins, our head of engineering, who has over three decades of experience in delivering power projects across the globe. So, you know, with those type of technical leaders on board, with Greg Andrew Wallace, our commercial director. It's, a, it's an incredibly strong team and one that's highly driven, but also humble in, you know, in the good old-fashioned Kiwi way that uh, gave me a lot of confidence that you know, you've got the, the amazing technology, the really high potential of the business in the industry and the great team. So yeah, it was a, it was a, yeah, a, very, a very compelling company and a very compelling situation to be able to, to move into. And then my role is, as we mentioned, primarily focused on go-to-market, 
you know, what are our near-term applications? How do we develop the the business moving forward? And within that, there's a, a business development and a, and a fundraising element as well. So a lot of the, the visits to, to Singapore have really covered all of those three. So, you know, this morning we had a meeting uh, at the Cleantech Hub to have a look at different R&D spaces and different uh, expansion plans for the business. I've met a number of investors here um, talking about our uh, fundraising activities that we're that we're doing currently, uh, and then also having a, meetings with uh, a number of government folks, a number of commercial partners to be able to uh, deliver pilot projects for the country. So it's quite a an exciting time to be involved in, especially here in Singapore. Okay, great, fantastic. Anything you can say, I'm right opening up a Singapore office, or to be determined. We'll uh, hopefully be able to make some announcements yeah, fairly soon, but yeah, with the Slingshot competition as well and, and receiving some grant funding, that you know, lays a, quite a solid foundation in order to take the first steps and then yeah, working with different investors and commercial partners and as we go through and start securing some investments and, and projects, then yeah, absolutely, Singapore's a a very high high priority region for us to to go next. Okay, great. Thanks. Before we wrap up, anything else you want to add? No, I've just thank you. Thank you very much for the time. The yeah, the competition and and slingshot and and switch itself is just such a fantastic way to get an insight into the ecosystem here and you can see the amounts of investment and rigor and focus that the country has put into startups that are really pushing the envelope so it's quite energizing and, and expiring every time I, I come back here and yeah we're looking forward to uh spending a lot more time here in the future so thank you very much okay great thanks rick and just one last thing where can the audience find more about you about emrod what's the best way to connect so our socials we've got a number of videos on youtube with our demonstrations our website is emrod.energy e-m-r-o-d.energy so yeah, please feel free to, to reach out to us and yeah, look forward to connecting. Okay, great. Thanks for your time today, Rick. Thanks a lot, Rubens. And with that, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help to grow the show by sharing with a friend or colleague. Please also hit like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to look out for future episodes as we explore the intersection of science, technology, and business in Singapore together.